0: Good morning, Heartland Pod family. How is everybody? This is Rachel Parker coming at you on a Tuesday, which is a little unusual. Normally, we have a chat. Uh, It's usually Adam, Summer, my co-host on Mondays, and my friend and my business partner and our main podcast producer. And this may uh, not come as a big shock to a lot of you out there in audience land, but independent podcasts sometimes have a hard time getting people to show up for their interviews. No shade. Um, somebody had to reschedule. So it's okay because I love to talk and I have ideas and I want to share them. This week, I'm going to continue down the path of tech. I've talked to you guys a lot about tech before, and this week I'm going to talk about what I think Twitter can do to become the social media platform platform of choice for safe relatively trustworthy information and conversation. So, I'll have a post coming out in the next day or so, hopefully today, called five things that Twitter can do to redeem itself. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about those things today. So, first of all, a little bit of background. If you go back on our archive, we talked last week Adam and I spent a lot of time on a Thursday show talking about where we sit today with meta and why I was going to cancel my Spotify subscription and you can listen to that for kind of my bigger sort of take on what I think the problems with Spotify are but I talk I've talked a lot before about the problems with meta and I don't think it's a platform I, I don't think there's any way for Facebook to backwards engineer its platform to make it not a place where fake information can flourish and just, just to show how evident that is, this Canadian trucker convoy that everybody's talking about, there's really good evidence and lots of information online. The Guardian did a really good piece last week that a lot of the people who are partaking in that, participating in that protest are not necessarily there because they believe in body autonomy. They're there because they don't believe the pandemic is real. A lot of the kind of QAnon participants... In the convoy and who showed up to the protest, maybe on foot, maybe to help the truckers out, maybe to donate money and so forth, are being then directed to third party sites where they're selling like survival equipment. So basically like Alex Jones, like basically like a lot of the people that were involved in sort of making money off this protest are Alex Jones like actors or people who legitimately believe in QAnon. And it took Facebook like 10 days or something to take the page down, to take the main like trucker convoy page down. And so that's just another example of how no matter what Facebook says it's going to do, it's not really going to do anything. And YouTube is another bad actor when it comes to the dissemination of fake and bad information online. That's another company. And of course, Google slash Alphabet is their parent, its parent. And do I think that Google is going to risk, and I'll, I'll spell this out more in the blog post that I write, but it costs a lot of money for Google to run YouTube. And I don't think they're going to do anything in earnest to pry people's attention away from that platform either. So if they have content that's performing well, it's going to take them a long time to, even if they were under the Let's just say under the best of circumstances that under its current business model, does it have the infrastructure to keep an eye on the amount of content that comes onto the platform every day? Flag bad content, review black bad content, take down bad content, qualify bad content, like all this... I don't think they do. And the question is, like, how do you... Again, we're talking about reverse engineering. So the, the, the plane's in the air. It's already taken off the runway. It's in flight, you know, four miles above the Earth's surface. How do you f- service that thing? How do you change a plane when it's already taken off? I don't, I don't think it's possible for YouTube, partly because of, of how big the challenge is and also because, like, there's never been a moment where I've seen Google... Sorry, Alphabet... That was sarcasm. Trying to be good agents of information—it's just not what they want to do. They make too much money from search. That leaves our little brother YouTube. Our excuse me, our little brother uh, Twitter. So Twitter has always been the smallest player in the social media space. It is um, something that we talk about a lot, but it it in terms of market cap, in terms of attention, in terms of all—it's just a fraction of the business that historically YouTube and Facebook have, have been responsible for. So they have to do something. Notably Jack Dorsey, his former CEO, stepped down, uh, six weeks ago, maybe two months ago now. And now they kind of have this moment where I think, and I'm not alone. Um, I'll share some links when I, when I throw this blog up, uh, today or tomorrow, there's some other thought leaders, um, Scott Galloway among them, other Kara Swisher, other people that think like, Twitter has an opportunity to improve the nature of discourse and also to make itself more competitive and it can do so in a really elegant way that doesn't disrupt the way that say you or I use the platform. So how can they do it? One thing I think that would be easy, right? So why are these platforms so bad? The reason that these platforms are so bad is because they need viral posts to generate interest for their advertising model. And Facebook's decline in the past couple weeks has shown they've lost, I I don't know what it is today. Last week they uh, lost what a half a trillion in market value or something. I could be wrong about that, but it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it was at one point it was a a quarter of a trillion or over a quarter of a trillion It's like 263 billion a day, um, because their earnings were a little bit off. And I think the whole business community and the, the markets are losing faith in advertising business models because they don't really last very long. Search does really well, but advertising itself, not so much. Twitter is still running on an ad model. And it's not running very well on an ad model. And I think the answer to that is to do something that people have wanted Twitter to do for a long time, which is just to give us an ad free subscription model. Just give us one. It would be so elegant too. you've got, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a marketer. You guys know I've worked in tech before. I'm not a product engineer, but I've worked with a bunch of product. I've worked with product people and I've worked kind of adjacent to product teams before. And you're always looking for something that has a lot of words attached to it, like turnkey and frictionless and like <laughs> terms like that. Because what you're really saying is if we make this ride too bumpy for our users or our stakeholders, they're going to get off the train. So elegance is usually the word that people use to encapsulate like all these different kind of things that I just mentioned. The elegant way that Twitter could offer an ad-free model is pretty simple. Do you have a non-ad-free account right now? You can keep it. It's fine. You can keep it going. But you can also sign up for um, an ad-free version, which is going to cost you X amount of dollars a month. Now, let me break that down for just a second. I would pay a lot of money for that. I'm basically on Twitter for sort of an enterprise reason, right? I'm there enterprise meaning business. I'm on there because I'm promoting a podcast period. Full stop. The end. I would not be on Twitter if I weren't an independent writer and podcaster. No way. No way. I'd be off social entirely if it weren't for that. It's very valuable to the work that we do. So valuable. In fact, that, Hey, Twitter, I'd pay for it. I'd pay like a lot. I'd pay 20 bucks a month. I'd pay 40 bucks a month. I'd pay 50 bucks a month. If you give me the right feature set, I might pay more than that. And I might pay for different things depending on what you offer me within that confine of an enterprise level service. There is so much money they're leaving on the table by not doing this. I can't even tell you. So much money. Twitter does not have to be the biggest company on earth for it to be very successful and very interesting. And just doing that one thing, and I'm sure they've discussed it, and I'm sure that we'll get to why they don't really want to do it in just one second. The reason they don't want to do it, I think, is it because they're afraid it's not going to make money. That's part of it. I think the real reason that they don't want to do it is because they'd have to admit that their the foundation of their advertising business model is built on a house of cards. Because so much of the user base on Twitter are fake accounts. So that gets me to number two. The second thing they can do is just ban the bots. Bots are essentially like – essentially they're fake accounts. So let's back up. Why did Twitter allow this in the first place? So there's something very utilitarian about what a bot account was supposed to allow Twitter enterprise users to do. So let's say that you're a social media marketing manager at Nike, and it's 2009, and all these platforms are still like brand new, and everybody's super excited, and they're trying to figure out how to like – amplify their message and um, get better engagement on their premium ad models and all this other stuff. The Twitter API that you had to basically register to use, you had to basically like jump through a few hoops, um, prove that you're an engineer, things like that. And then that gave you access to basically like backend tools that will, would allow you to write software that would control your Twitter account. Now that's not, Inherently a bad thing. Bots do totally okay things on the internet all the time. A bot is just a program. So if I'm Nike and I've got whatever, a couple million, however however many social media followers it has on Twitter. Again, we're talking about maybe like 10 years ago. What I want is to do more with less. And a bot, if I'm Nike, allows me to say, you can buy those shoes here automatically. So if somebody shares a piece of content on Twitter for Nike, the Nike bot can see that it happened and the Nike bot could share like a link to its, you know, retail page or whatever it's going to do. Thank you for sharing that. We love you. Like something just really, really, really mundane stuff. The problem is, is that's not what happened. What happened is that bots were used basically to amplify rage. Not everybody is a good actor And in the earliest days of social media platforms, they all kind of decided unanimously they were going to pretend like everybody on the internet was a good actor. And we're kind of well into the era now where it's obvious how much that's not true. And the answer is, you know, is there value for these bot accounts a and B how hard is it for Twitter to detect them? The answer to one, I think, is if you're a bad actor, bot accounts are very valuable because you can do things like if you're the if you're Americans for Prosperity, so the Koch funded super PAC, if you're that company, if you're that organization, it's very valuable to you to be able to amplify fake information about climate change, for example, if you're. Uh, let's just say like an anti-COVID lockdown group or something, it helps you to amplify messages that say that COVID vaccines are dangerous, that masks are ineffective, and it's easier to do that with bot accounts than it is with actual people. I think that one of the reasons that Twitter doesn't want to ban bot accounts is because it's going to make it very difficult for them to generate enough traffic for their ad platform. And as someone who needs to spend money on Twitter to promote content, I would pay more money for an ad if I knew it was going to get land in the Twitter profiles of actual people. I don't really want to get in front of a fake account. It's not going to help me. It's not going to help our message on the, on the, on the podcast. It's not, let's say like I was trying to sell some merch, right? Which we're going, which we will do soon enough, or even ask you to do something like share this or, you know, please help us do this. If I'm paying for that level of promotion and it's getting in front of a bunch of like, basically like a, a dashboard of a Ukrainian bot farm. what do, I don't want to pay for that. <laughs> that gives me no value. but I think that the 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 competition for advertising revenue among social media platforms is so brutal that Twitter has shied away from banning bots because it would be bad for their bottom line. How many bees were in that sentence, you guys? How many bees? I just I nailed that. I just nailed that. I'm very proud of myself. I didn't stutter once. Let's talk about, we want premium ad. We want a premium ad free subscription model. Two, ban the bots. Three, Twitter needs to do something to verify its user base. It's tangential and and, and related to the banning the bot issue, but I would very much like it if when I'm engaging with people, in particularly political discourse, particularly discourse about conservative politics in a place like Missouri. I'm pretty good at detecting fake accounts. Like it's pretty, or at least one that isn't, that's maybe an anonymized account. Um, And that's okay. But if it's someone who's trying to argue with me, or if it's someone who's sharing a bunch of like nonsense about vaccines on my thread about Eric Schmidt suing school districts over mask mandates I would very much like that account to be shut down. I'm not an engineer. It is not my responsibility, nor is it my job as a consumer to tell Twitter how to verify users. I promise you as someone who has worked in the space of online media and online kind of distribution platforms for a very long time, there are some simple things that you can do that would essentially allow for what I would call like front facing anonymity. Let's say that you're using Let's just use a really extreme example. Let's say that you're an LGBTQ person in Dubai or in India where you could face very serious harm, if not legal ramifications, for being open about your identity. Let's say that you need to use a platform like Twitter because it's not a video service like um, TikTok, right? So if you're trying to hide your identity, the last probably the last platform you want to use is TikTok, right? There's a possibility that Twitter could know that you were in fact a real person, but you could use an anonymous Twitter handle with an anonymized profile picture so that you can engage with people on Twitter in a safe way for you. But also Twitter knows that you're not someone just using a fake profile to spread misinformation, to harass people, to take revenge on your ex-girlfriend who works for a gaming company that's a Gamergate reference in case you missed it, Etc- like, et cetera, et cetera, right? All those things are, are possible. They would have to beta the service. They'd have to kind of get people interested in kind of signing up and, and kind of test driving it. I'm pretty sure a company with Twitter's, like, make no mistake, just because they're like the third or fourth ranking social platform doesn't mean they don't have resources. They have plenty of resources, you guys. They have plenty of resources. Could they beta a KYC, which means know your customer? Could they beta a KYC process? Yeah. Yeah, they could. Okay. On to number four, because I said there were five. Number four, just hire content moderators, Twitter. Just go look. Okay, so we're this premium service that leans into an enterprise model where people who gain the most benefit from using our service get to pay for it, period, right? And again, there's many different levels of users, of subscription-based user accounts they could roll out, right? All different kinds of services, bells, whistles. If you're just a, a, a person who just wants to check Twitter and you just you just want to be at ad free it could be five bucks a month, whatever. There's so many different ways they could do it. They could then reinvest some of that revenue in hiring moderators. Like every other company in the world... Like I had to deal with FedEx today. I am not FedEx's client. The company that I ordered a, a missing piece of furniture from is, right? I ordered a chair from Wayfair. It got caught up in the blizzard. Uh, we don't know where it is. Uh, so I didn't give FedEx any money. Not a penny. But I was on the phone. I got on the phone with them in five seconds. I was contacted two and a half seconds later by one of their people that do the, the search things when there's a missing package. Um, I could tell that the first call was offshore. I was speaking to somebody I suspect who was probably in the Philippines based on their accent. He was lovely. And companies have had to rely on low-cost call centers for a long time. I'm not saying that's what Twitter should do. I'm actually saying that Twitter should admit that it's a fucking media company, right? They're a media company. Act like a media company. You know what media companies have? Editors. They have editors. They hire editors. That's what they invest in. Go invest in editors. Go to J schools around the country. Train them up. Find people who have been experienced community managers for online gaming companies, for um, anybody that has a large, any any company, by the way, that has a large online social presence has a community manager. They're called CMs. That's the handle. So if you're Blizzard, you got a bunch of them. Oh, my God. You have so many CMs if you're like a Blizzard or um, like... Uh, division of Microsoft games or something. You have so many CMs. So Twitter can do the same thing. Twitter can hire uh, an entire department of a couple hundred people who just sit around all day and have increasingly good AI that looks out across its considerable volume of posts across the world and go, Oh Jesus, what's this? Let me figure this out. Okay, let's... No, this This has to go. Sorry. I know that there's a lot of people who consider themselves to be thought leaders in the space of social media who say that content moderation is akin to censorship. And what I would say is the newspapers have been censoring their own writers for years by fact-checking what they write. The idea that you have... That, that, the idea suddenly that fact-checking and verification is akin to censorship is so dangerous and so anti-intellectual that it kind of makes me a little upset, <laughs> especially when it comes from people who should know better, because there's a lot of people that are saying this, that are former journal that are, I, I call them former, I call them former journalists. Um, and cause they're on Substack now and yeah, whatever, you know, guys, you guys know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say their names. Content moderation is not censorship. Content moderation is what companies have done for centuries. It's the practice of saying, is what we're putting out into the world verifiably true or not? If it's not verifiably true, and if it's just opinion, is it dangerous opinion? Do we want it on our platform? They have the right, Twitter has the right, any of these content companies, whether it's Meta, whether it's Google, whether it's Twitter, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Snap, that's enough. All of them, when you read their terms of service, are unequivocal in their right to take down anything they want at any time for any reason they don't have to tell you. You know why? Because they are paying for the infrastructure upon which all of the information that you send out over those platforms, like they're paying the freight for these systems to exist, period they want to take stuff down they can if it's not fair if you don't like it then you can move on to another platform right that's kind of the idea so i want to see twitter be a real market leader in having maybe it's a light touch maybe it's something that with all the other things that i mentioned they don't need to become so onerous about because at least they're doing a better job of getting bad actors off their network i know that they've thought about this before Uh, not, I don't, I don't know anybody that works in in any kind of high level position at Twitter, but I guarantee you these are conversations that have happened before. And I think if the company is going to take up the amount of space it should, rather than the energy that it does, you know what I mean? Like right now it takes, Twitter takes up a lot of more kind of like thought energy than it does actual like market share. I think if they want to really remain, um, what they could, I think if they want to live to their potential, let's say that. As a company, for their shareholders and for their users alike, they've got to start thinking about how they're going to treat themselves like they're an actual grown-up, put-on-your-big-boy-and-big-girl-pants media company, right? And I think the other... My last point is... And I, I I, I liked the idea of coming up with five things because people click on listicles and I write listicles all the time and it's always like... It's never... It's always odds. It's like three things or five things or whatever. So five things that I want Twitter to do. And I just challenged myself. And I was like, five seems like the right number. Is there a fifth thing that I want to say? And I thought about it all weekend. And I decided that what I think Twitter, again, because Twitter has always been the place where journalists hang out. And I think one of the reasons that the the debater on Twitter is so impassioned is because the people that are having it are writers. Right? and politicians and thought leaders and intellectuals and smart people that consider themselves to be smarty McSmart pants people. So what can Twitter do to honor the space that it occupies, which is probably what I was trying to say before. What can Twitter do to honor the space that it occupies? I think they need to become the de facto leaders in media literacy There is so much opportunity because nobody else wants to do it in training people in how to consume information online with a greater confidence that the information they're consuming is real. It's not that hard to do these things. So for example, if we're going to talk about a company that is getting bots off of its network, that's doing a better job of moderating content. So at very least fake content, abusive content. um, And it's obvious, right? It's obvious when it's abusive. Always. I don't mean argumentative. I mean, abusive. I really do mean abusive. It's always obvious when that's happening. There are programs in, in, that you can increasingly take in media literacy. There's an ongoing movement that's burgeoning and becoming more popular that media literacy is something that should be taught in schools because the the internet blew up in a very fast way. and it, it, it accelerated faster than we than we could, right? And social media came along at a time when the ubiquity of the internet was only about, I don't know five years old or something. It was still just kind of a a, a nascent technology in terms of wide adoption. Uh, High-speed internet had not been along. And what really kicked it off was, of course, um, smartphones. And it was exciting. I was there. I was an adult. I was in my late 30s at the time. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. It felt very empowering that suddenly anybody with this thing in their hand could be heard in the same way that CNN could be heard, in the same way that MSNBC could be heard, in the same way that Fox News could be heard. And that was so seductive that we didn't really stop to think about like, it's the old Jeff Goldblum line from Jurassic park, right? Just because you could, didn't mean you should. And we're far enough now into this era that we've got to admit that media literacy is something that needs to be taught just like any other form of literacy, right? If we teach young people how to read if we teach children how to read we should teach everybody how to spot bad information about how to verify the source of something about how to prevent your about how to not spread it further if if it comes to you and you suspect it may be bullshit you have a responsibility to stop the bullshit in its tracks but how do you know it's bullshit right so I think Twitter could invest a a fair amount of money, which would be trivial for a company of its market share, but it would make a significant impact on the society, right? There are people that are standing by that would be ready to work hand in hand with Twitter to help them do this. There's all kinds of on, like online organizations and um, advocacy groups and so forth who would help them spread what the idea of media literacy, what is it? Do you really want to tell me that Twitter can't afford a reasonably skilled PR team and hire a division head and call them the head of media literacy and get them on talk shows? Do I really think that Twitter can't start a YouTube channel and talk about media literacy? do I think it would have an impact eventually? I really do actually. Yeah. Because I remember when sp- the internet before Snopes existed. Right. And Snopes was a mother, a, a-, a husband and wife <laughs> who I-, I, forget what the original um, internet myth that they busted, but they turned it into a cottage industry and it still exists today. And I, I watched how popular it became because misinformation was already starting to spread very rapidly through email So if a little husband and wife team that still exists today that has like now has like a staff of people that work for them, if they can do what they do, then I'm very convinced that one of the largest social media companies and one of the first in the space could use its significant footprint to make major strides in something that I think is going to be very important, not just to the present moment, but to the future If democracy and um, truth truth actual just truth has a chance of surviving that's where i'm gonna leave it um keep an eye out uh on our podcast channels and our twitter channel uh at heartland pod 2020 can find us there and we will be blasting out um the blog post uh that accompanies this podcast shortly i want to thank you all for tuning in i hope you guys had a good sunday i'm seeing a lot of mixed things out there about the rams interesting it's interesting Take care, you guys. We'll talk soon. The Heartland Pod is a production of MidMap Media, LLC. Follow us on Twitter with at theheartlandpod. With email, you can reach us, heartlandpod2020 at gmail.com. Online with heartlandpod.com. Subscribe and please sign up for our Patreon with patreon.com slash heartlandpod. Become a podhead or an official Podgressive today and unlock all of our content. See you at the next show.